Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Hello, Derek. Hey. Derek, I have some bad oh. news, man. Oh, no. So, well, one, the Bengals lost. That was That's one of the bad news. The, the last time we, we always said how we're always a week behind. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, you know, clearly if you're listening, you know that the Bengals lost. But you know what I'm really upset about? That goddamn dude, Apple, on the Bengals, the one who had that yeah. personal oh, file dude. at the end, who, like, basically put it on the first down on the first yard line, one yard line. Uh-huh. He used to play for the Saints. I know. And have you keep, been keeping up with how he's, like, trashing New Orleans? Oh, dude, we hate him. Oh, yeah. He's the worst. So, uh, anyway, I'm not on social media, so I didn't know anything about this. So Amy's the one who told me about it after she's like, Apple, oh, that's the guy everybody hates. And I was like, God, of course it would be that dude who screws up the damn Super Bowl for the Bengals. I'm so upset. Yeah. So that's one bit of bad news. And the other, I was supposed to go to Hawken Hills. You got me all excited about Hawken Hills. Oh, dude. Remember? And so yeah, I booked yeah, the yeah. cabin, all excited, picking up the kids this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Great. And uh, I get a call this morning. And the oh, guy's no. like, hey, um, you have a four by four? I was like, a four by no. It's like I have a minivan. He's like, well, uh, bad news, man. The the roads are all washed out. You're not gonna be able to get to the cab unless you can find a four by four. I'm like, who's got a four by four just laying around to get up to a stupid cabin? I'm so upset, man. So anyway, I can't find a I tried to rent one and I couldn't. So here we are. So I had to cancel the damn cabin, man. So damn, upset. That sucks. So upset. Anyway, so I do have some good news, though, Derek. What's up? We have got a, a very special guest I'm really excited about. A few episodes back, God, almost like 20 episodes back, remember we talked about uh, the, the blog post that we really liked about software being a loser's game? Oh, yeah. And guess who we've got today, Derek? Who we got? Tyler Hawkins, the author of that blog post, is joining us today. We're going to talk all about uh, what he's learned as a tech lead and some pitfalls and things to avoid. So I'm really excited. Are you excited? My heart's beating so fast, I don't even know what to do. I feel it. I got a Fitbit. I got my, my heartbeat right now is at... Oh, man. Yeah, uh, where I'm at. 75. <laughs> so I, Maybe I'm not <laughs> I am excited. Tyler, you know, I am more excited than my heartbeat is uh, leading on. Uh, so Tyler, I'm really excited to have Tyler on. He's a senior software engineer at Adobe. Tyler has a passion for learning, building, creating, and teaching. His main areas of expertise are JavaScript, React, HTML, CSS, He's passionate about web accessibility, about testing, which I know you're very passionate about, Derek, and building healthy engineering cultures, which, Derek, who else is passionate about that? You and me. So I'm I'm excited about that. Tyler's written over 80 articles, which I'm I'm impressed by that alone. One million views on Medium. That's impressive. Dev2, Hacker Noon, DZone, Free Code Camp. He frequently presents in company-wide engineering training and conferences at Adobe. Teaching, presenting, mentoring are all things that he enjoys. Tyler, we are super stoked to have you on the show. Welcome to Retro Time, man. Thanks, guys. It's good to be here. Hot damn. All right. So today we're talking a little bit about being a tech lead. And I guess one of the things I'm, I'm curious about, a lot of people think about tech leads as managers or leaders or you know some type of seniority, but what is a tech lead? Yeah. So probably the easiest way to talk about what a tech lead is is starting with what it's not. Um, like, yeah, a lot of people might think that a tech lead uh, is a manager, um, but they're not, right? So it's so kind of the main distinction there is that uh, tech leads don't have things like performance conversations mm. with other engineers. Um, they don't have you know salary conversations or raises like that. Um, and they often don't have you know the final say in like hiring or firing decisions or anything like that. So they don't have the typical um, manager responsibilities, right of, of having direct reports and direct authority. But a tech lead does have a lot of opportunities to lead and influence indirectly. Um, so oftentimes, like the tech lead is a more senior engineer on the team, 
um, there's still an individual contributor. So you're still writing your own code, right? But you also have a lot more um, additional responsibilities to help the team as well. So you, you're kind of wearing a lot of different hats. Um, you might be wearing kind of a, a project manager hat um, or, or even a scrum master role, right? So you're, you're helping to keep things moving along for the team. Uh, you're helping to resolve blockers for different engineers, uh, making sure the right things get done at the right time, keeping schedules on track. Um, you also play kind of like an architect role as well. So you'll often help with, with breaking down work, scoping out new features, um, planning the initial designs for those kind of things. Um, and then there's also a lot of mentoring too. So again, like you, you're not an you're not uh, an engineering manager. You don't have direct reports, uh, but you do have a lot of teammates to help mentor. Um, so helping to make sure that they're learning and growing and able to to contribute um, on the team. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of a tech lead in a nutshell. Derek, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we uh, had that role in one of our our previous uh, previous yeah. teams. Um, similar, it's implemented very similarly. Yeah, it's funny where we work, Tyler. It's uh, we have this concept of dotted line and solid line. And, you know, the solid line clearly is the is the manager dotted line or sort of the leads or the people who kind of have the authority, but but not the like you said, the HR paperwork. They don't have to deal with all that, which, you know, I kind of like that. Actually, I've, I've been UX lead on products and stuff for most of my career last like, you know, 10 years or so. And um, it's kind of nice being in charge, sort of, but not having to deal with all the, the HR crap that goes along with it. It's kind of yep. nice. Yeah, it's definitely a good uh, a good introduction to management almost. But yeah, without without the things you might dread as an engineer of having to deal with budgets and paperwork and HR and all that good stuff. People complaining about their salary, like, "Hey, my job, man, go talk to somebody else." Right. Talk, talk to Bob. That's Bob. To you know what's funny too? I, we had someone working as a tech lead that didn't like that lack of responsibility. They they felt themselves to be more better as a manager, and they realized that because it was something that was missing. So it's like, you know, tech lead, tech lead, I've found anyway, that maybe it isn't something bad to not be a tech lead and to be a manager. Obviously, there are two mm. different things. But I just thought that was interesting that they saw this gap. Yeah, that's actually uh, something we talked with Anand about, Derek, a little bit. Um, Anand Safi, when he was on, the idea that a manager is not the same role as a developer, right? And so, you know, developer, designer, whatever you are, you get to become a manager. You're not do you're not you're no longer an individual contributor. You're no longer an IC. You're actually managing the people who do all that work. And a lot of people don't realize that, you know, but a lot of people don't want to <laughs> don't want to do that anymore. They want to manage people. So I don't know. Has that been your experience, Tyler? You're you're um IC, right? You're an individual contributor. Yeah. Not not a manager's quote unquote, but you are tech lead. You ever thought about that? Like what you what's in it for you? What do you like or don't like? I'm curious. Right. Yeah. And it's actually like being a tech lead is interesting because it, it it kind of provides that good stepping stone, I think, for where you want to head in your career. So like usually being a tech lead, it's it's not a promotion or anything, right? Like you don't have a, a salary increase or, or a title change or, or whatever, right? To for being a tech lead. Um, but it's a good taste of uh, of management. Um, and so yeah, it kind of provides the good stepping stone of like, hey, I, I really like the mentoring and developing side of things. Like maybe I want to do management. Or, you know, as a tech lead, you don't get to code as deeply. Um, as you would in, in maybe a different role, right? Because you have all these other responsibilities and you're helping your teammates and helping with the project management. And so you might find like, hey, I'm I'm kind of frustrated that I only get to code for two hours a day instead of eight hours a day. Like, I don't like this. I want to stay the individual contributor role, right? So it's it's kind of a good stepping stone to, to figuring out where you want to go in your career path. You know, for me, I'm a designer. I'm a UX designer. And um, 
the way you're talking about coding less. I, I'm doing the same with design. I actually design very little now as as an architect, an experienced architect. I'm, I'm meeting most of the time. <laughs> most of my days are meeting. And I feel like, I mean, Derek, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago, but I feel like the older I get, the better the younger designers become, right? Like they just <laughs> yeah. always like, like, you know how all the kids like in high school, they always look younger every year. Well, like the new kids coming out of school, they all seem more talented every year That's compared funny. to me at least. And so uh, I feel like, you know, the thing they're missing though is all that wisdom that you get by doing this yeah. job for a long time. And so I can kind of me- mentor them and lead them, but they can do all the really great work and I can just sort of sit back and kind of guide them and shape them a little bit to, to do, you know, what I think is like kind of the right approach and stuff. So when you think about a tech lead, is is it the experience that makes you so valuable in that role or is it kind of a mix of things? There's a lot more value than just coding or just designing, right? Like the, the value that you bring as a software engineer or as a designer, like isn't just, you know, I, I pumped out these many tasks or I created these many design mockups or what or whatnot, right? Like a lot of the value comes from the more senior people of like, okay, I've, I know that I've tried these three approaches in the past and they've all failed because of these reasons. So let's, let's steer people away from that, right? Or, or these UX patterns work a lot better than others. So let's try to steer people towards that. Um, and so what I think what's interesting though is like, a lot of the actual coding that gets done in most companies seems to be done by more like mid-level to junior people and the the seniors, like they hardly code at all. Right. Like they spend all these times in these meetings doing design reviews, architecture reviews and stuff like that. Um, So it's interesting, right? You you contribute a lot more to the business value, um, but probably less, less code. Well, those kids coming out of school, they're always Mm -hmm. more talented than they were the year before. So let them do it. That's what I said. (laughs) So, so what makes a good tech lead, right? You got certain, certainly there are people who, you know, get this opportunity and become tech leads and they're probably really good ones or probably really bad ones. What what makes a good tech lead? Yeah. Um, so there, there are a few attributes or kind of skills that I think come to mind and we can, we can go into these uh, more and dive into them, but time management is a really big one. So trying to balance uh, between your work and the team's work. Um, along with that, like being able to delegate effectively, right? You can't do anything. You can't do everything on your own. So learning, uh, what to delegate and how to delegate. Um, process improvement is a really big one, just finding ways to make things better. Uh, learning how to give hard feedback, being able to share knowledge with the rest of the team, like helping to level up the team. Um, and then just learning to make you know good judgment calls. Uh, oftentimes there's there's not a, a clear 100% right decision to make in, in many scenarios. And mm-hmm. so you have to you know apply, apply your experience and your wisdom, right? To to make a good call and, and stand by it. And if you're wrong, that's, that happens too. And you learn from your mistakes. Own it. Um, but, but I think those are kind of the big five, right? But we could, we could dive into those a little bit more. Yeah. Well, and do you think there's any, any, anything of those you think is worth calling out, talking about? Yeah. So like time management specifically. So I feel like this one is, is probably the biggest struggle for new tech leads um, because, okay, so you're, you're an individual contributor. Um, you're getting more senior. You're, you're probably, you know, a top performer, right? You, you pump out a lot of code and you get a lot done. And then now as a tech lead, you, you suddenly have all these other responsibilities too, right? So you're not just thinking about your own work that you're working on, but you're thinking about the rest of the work that your team is working on. So, um, you know, you might have four or five other engineers on your team that you're working with. So, so now you're helping them, um, helping them with blockers. You're helping with the project management, making sure that, that things stay on track. And so you have all these other responsibilities. And so it can be frustrating, right? Of like, you might swing between different modes of working where maybe some days your head's down coding and you're getting lots done. And in other days, you're just in tons of meetings or just constantly answering questions and stuff, right? And so figuring out like how to manage your time 
can be a huge struggle. Uh, you might find that, you know, the, the day's over and you, you didn't get done anything that you wanted right. to do, right? There's a really good uh, concept. This is from uh, an essay by someone named Paul Graham from a while ago. It's called Make Your Schedule, Manage Your Schedule. But um, he highlights how there's kind of these, these two distinctions between types of workers where, where knowledge workers are often on a maker's schedule where like you need these, these solid blocks of time to get anything done. Like you need like a good four hour stretch to work on mm -hmm. something. If you just have like a bunch of 30 minute blocks of time, like that's sure, not yeah. enough time to like get into flow yeah, and start yeah, working on stuff. Flow, yeah. And then you have the manager schedule where it's like, you just have meetings every <laughs> hour. Meeting, like, yeah. yeah. And so it's just, you know, what's next? Okay. Another meeting. Like you're not like deep in work and anything. Right. So it's, it's not a distraction to have these meetings, like breaking up the middle of your day. But so just like thinking about that, the whole maker schedule, manager schedule, like being protective of your time and making sure you're still able to have like these, these blocks of time when you do need to focus on something mm -hmm. uh, is a, a pretty big one. That's I think. huge. Yeah. I mean, you get a book time for yourself too. I think uh, I, I, I identify very much with that four hour uh, time frame thing. I, I had this thing for a while where I felt like no task, no matter how small, could get done to my level of satisfaction mm -hmm. unless I, I had four hours blocked off. It may only take me an hour to get to the bottom of it, but I feel like we get through work and then we need to move on to something else before we're satisfied with our work. And that work satisfaction thing is uh, is probably challenging uh, for someone moving into a tech lead role. Yeah, especially um, it's been a while since I've moved into a role like that, but my role is kind of like that now as an architect on a team where I find myself going between those manager meeting days and those those blocks of time days. Uh, and sometimes it's hard to switch yeah. around. You know, one of the things I, I had a hard time with is actually like letting go letting go of the work. And yeah. I think that kind of leads to one of the things that if I had to guess, like some of the things that make a bad tech lead, letting go of that work and like, you know, making other people to your point, Derek, like do the work to your very specific uh, uh, requirements and, and to your satisfaction leads to, I would assume a lot of like kind of micromanagement. So I'm curious, like, like what yeah. makes a really bad tech lead? Yeah. So, so micromanagement is, is a big one, right? Because right, like as a tech lead, like you're, you're probably someone that's a high contributor and a, a top performer, right? So you're good at your job and you get things done. And so, yeah, it can, it can be frustrating, right? If you see, you see other people working on something and it's like, okay, that, that wasn't how I would have done it. Or, or, or why is this taking longer? Like this should have been a quicker thing. And so it can be tempting, right? To, to just, just jump in and, and try to, yeah. yeah, like, just let me do it. But that doesn't mm -hmm. scale. Right. And that, and that kind of goes more to like engineering management too, is like ultimately kind of as a tech lead and as a manager, like part of your job is to help your skills and the things you're good at scale to the rest of the team, right? Like you're a good individual contributor, but what if you could make five other people good individual mm -hmm. contributors too? And then, and then teams of teams, right? What if you could have a, a team of Derek's? That's what you need. You need a whole team hey. of Derek's. Hey. <laughs> Right. Ahead, a lot of it. unnecessary jokes. That's what you <laughs> but yeah, so like thinking about, you know, the, the, the bad tech lead in, in micromanagement, right, is, is kind of the opposite of that. Of like, mm -hmm. um, if you're not able to let go, uh, you're going to have a hard time, right? Because you, you can't do the work of the entire team. And then, yeah, kind of the same thing, like when it comes to just like growing the team and developing the team, like a good tech lead needs to be able to take time to uh, maybe do some pair programming, uh, maybe to code reviews for sure. Like you're doing a lot of code reviews as a tech lead, um, but you need time to help the rest of the team to, to grow and to level up and to share some things. And so a bad tech lead, like 
might still kind of be in that like single individual contributor mindset of like yeah. I'm heads down working on code for eight hours like don't bother me um which might be fine if you if you're just a regular individual contributor but like that's not your role as a tech lead is you can't you can't mm-hmm. just be heads down all day and I think that that plays a lot to that time management piece that we talked about right like you can't just spend eight hours doing this because what about all the other stuff you have to do definitely and then kind of the same thing for like you know if you wanted to to get past that like maybe maybe you've swung the opposite direction so not not coding for eight hours a day but you spend your entire day just helping other people um you you might want to take a step back and think about like okay why are people getting blocked on these things or, or you know, what, what processes do we need to improve here? Cause it might be, you know, maybe it's a people thing or a skills gap, in which case like, yeah, let's take time to train the team. Let's level them up and help them understand this is, this is how we do it or here's some best practices. Right. But it also might be like more process improvement things where it's not like a people problem. It's a process problem. We're like, mm-hmm. Hey, we have um, a test suite that the tests are always super flaky and you have to retrigger the pipeline three times to finally get it to pass. And, and that's annoying and it slows down the developer workflow. Um, so as a tech lead, you might think, well, how do we fix that? Right. So you might take some time and, and go fix those tests. Right. Or, or maybe a lot of people um, don't know how to run an app locally or don't know how to do something right. Like, okay, well, is there documentation for it? Um, mm-hmm. If not, like, let's, let's go write it. And so, yeah, kind of going back to like the good tech lead, bad tech lead, like, the good one kind of looks for those areas for improvement and, and finds those small tweaks you can make to help other people's jobs be easier. The bad tech lead might just be plowing forward and this is how we've always done things, but we're not looking for, for improvements anywhere. Yeah, I think like I'm just thinking about, you know, from the UX side, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, clearly tests and documentation, things like that are, are very much like a, a technical developer thing. But even from like the UX side, I feel like this the same exact things apply. I mean, you know, you can't spend your whole time heads down designing some wireframes or creating prototypes or whatever. As a tech lead, your job is to help other people and, and remove blockers. And, and again, just like you said, fix those improvement uh, or find process improvements. And then the big one, delegation. You know, like we, we talked about that. I think to me, that delegation piece plays a lot into that micromanagement, not being able to delegate and you wanting to go and do them all yourself. And, you know, so I want to talk about like the micromanagement piece. because I feel like, I don't know, from your perspective, I feel like that's the easiest thing to sort of fall into, especially for new tech leads that aren't really comfortable delegating yet. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So I think, I mean, that's probably the thing that I struggle with the most and that I try to catch myself the most with doing just kind of my, my personality style. Like I, I have a strong attention to detail, um, which is really helpful, uh, for, for doing things on my own. Right. Like I want to get it done just right. And it needs to mm-hmm. be perfect and it works right. Mm-hmm. Which can be good. If you're working on, on your own tasks, it can be bad if you're trying to delegate to other people. Right. And, and they're working on something, but they did it slightly differently. And maybe the way they did, they did it like, isn't wrong. It's just different. Maybe there's a equally valid alternative approach. Right. But you might think like, no, it has to be my way. It has to be done, has to be done this way. And so I think like where, where a lot of the micromanagement comes from is just like a kind of a fear that, that the work won't get done correctly or it won't get done on time, right? Like the fear of if I don't do it myself, it's going to be wrong, right? That's, that's kind of the fear you're trying to overcome. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about when we were, while we've been talking about this topic, Back in school when we were studying algorithms and there were, you know, you start off learning bubble sort or whatever. And then you learn, oh, my God, there's another sorting algorithm. 
I can sort faster than a bubble sort. And the, your, your whole life, you know, in every situation you've always implemented, you've seen bubble sort implemented every time. Let's say uh, this is an analogy, but let's say that's analogous to like how the process you've seen a team man be managed or work. And all the time you could have been imagining a better way for teams to work together um, that was more efficient or even studied that. So that's why I think studying some of these things could even be potential benefits for um, uh, managers or tech leads specifically um, as they work through this micromanagement like phase, you know, or, or, or struggle, you know. Let's talk a little bit about like maybe signs and then like how how we overcome them. Because I think that's one thing, like, if people are coming in and it's like, oh, I want to be a tech lead, and they start to realize, like, how do you know you're doing it? Because you might think you're doing totally, you're, oh, this is totally normal, but then signs that you're doing it, and then maybe ways to, like, overcome those. Yeah. And I think what's interesting is, like, it's it's a lot easier, I think it's easier to note these things when, like, you feel like you're being micromanaged, yeah. you know? Like, we've all had that boss of, like, okay, like, sure. give me some space, like, I can do this, right? Um it's, it's a lot easier to notice it when you feel like you're being micromanaged as opposed to when you're being the micromanager and mm. doing that. Um, and so maybe some signs, right? So like if, if you're checking in frequently or asking for frequent updates, like, you know, you, you always need to know what's going on. What's the current status of this thing? Um, perhaps more frequently than you really need to know. That's probably a good sign that you're micromanaging. Another that we already talked about a little bit, but just like jumping in to do the work for them. So like maybe someone is is struggling on something for a little bit and you think, okay, they're struggling. I need to go help them now. And that uh, that might be appropriate in some cases, right? Or, or maybe they really do need help. Um, oftentimes people need not for you to jump in and, and solve the problem for them, but to, to give them a pointer, right? Like yeah. let's, let's give you a tip or a step, right? Help you get to the next, the next thing. Um, and you can figure it out yourself. Right. So like, anyway, so if you're micromanaging, right, you're, you're probably jumping in to do it for them rather than um, rather than coaching or, or allowing for a little bit of a little bit of struggle and a little bit of growth there. And then, yeah, along with that, like just needing to be involved in every detail of every task, like, you need to be a part of every single conversation that ever happens or every single decision that gets made. Like you probably don't, you can, you can trust your people to <laughs> that. You've got smart people and they can think for themselves and they can make good decisions. Right. So when you notice yourself doing that, I guess, what are, what are you, have you found any tips to sort of like break it, stop doing it? Yeah. Yeah. So like over overcoming that tendency uh, to micromanage. So I think like one of the, the biggest things is first making sure that like the people, making sure that your teammates or whoever you might be micromanaging um, have the right tools and support and training that they need to do the job. Because I mean, that's that's crucial for them to get it done, right? You might find that you're, you know, quote unquote, micromanaging all the time or jumping in to save the day um, because they can't do it on their own. Like maybe you're right that they, mm -hmm. they wouldn't figure this out on their own uh, unless you jump in and save the day. But if that's the case, like you should probably ask yourself why, right? Because again, like that's not a sustainable practice. You can't do everything on your own. So, so we should first make sure, like, okay, I'm I'm having to jump in a lot and I'm having to to fix these things. So, so why is that? Like, does the person understand what they should be doing? Like, is is the expectations are the expectations clear? And if not, like, let's let's clarify those. Like, here's here's what we should be doing. This is what good work looks like. And then it might just be like, they don't have the right tools or support or training, right? Like maybe, maybe they don't know how to do it and you need to spend an hour coaching them to train them to do it. 
And then from there, they'd be a rock star and able to, you know, do whatever thing on their own. So now you've solved the problem. Like you don't have a need to micromanage anymore. And then the third, which is like maybe the hardest one from like a people management perspective, but just it is the person capable of, of completing the task. Like, let's say you've, you've communicated expectations clearly and you've given the right tools and support and training, but they're just not getting it. Like that happens too, right? Like sometimes there's a bad hire. Um, sometimes they're not right for the team. Maybe they might be good at something else and they could transfer to a different team where their skill set could be used better. Um, maybe they're just not a good fit for the company overall, or maybe they're just working on the wrong tasks. Like maybe they're a great engineer and they're really good at these specific things, but some other specific task is just kind of above their skill set at the moment. Like let's make sure we're, we're working on the right things and then help kind of gradually build them over time. That's great advice. One of the things I, I kind of start to do or started to do over time um, with the checking in is use the, the, the touch points you have to check in and just try to let them give them space to do the work and use those touch points. So for instance, like my team, my UX team, we have a stand up on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we don't do it daily because you know, this doesn't really need to be daily, but we do Tuesdays and Thursdays and, and we use that time to check in and we have, we use rally. So we go through our rally board and we, we have stories and we kind of track it all that way. And that's the time for updates. And, you know, um, unless there's some like thing that came up that changes something and then I'll ask them about it. But for the most part, you know, using those times to check in and then saying, do you need any help? Is there anything I need, you need me to do? Can I help in any way? Do you have any blockers? Just like you would in a normal standup. I don't know. I found that to be very helpful so that I'm not constantly pestering people. Because I did find the past when I first started doing this as a UX lead, I would constantly do that kind of stuff, you know, and it, it wasn't helpful. <laughs> and I got a lot of feedback. I actually got some good feedback from my team in the past that I was doing those things. So kind of, you know, a lot of people aren't fortunate enough to get that honest feedback, though. They'll just people, you know, people kind of complain about it behind their back. So I was, I was lucky. I had somebody actually tell me very honestly that I was doing that. So, and that can be huge too, right? Like if you, if you feel like you're being micromanaged, like honest feedback can be helpful. Just like, cause again, like it, it kind of goes to like this, this trust issue of, of the person that's being the micromanager, like assuming they're not a jerk and they have positive intent, like they just want to make sure that like they care, they want, they want to make sure that it gets done and it gets done. Right. So like, if you feel like you're being micromanaged, maybe just tell them like, Hey, I've, I've got this. I know what to do. Like, I, I think I can handle this. I'll let you know if I need help. Um, make sure you give your, your update during standup or whatever. Right. But um, I think helping to like reassure the person, like I'm okay. You don't need to check in every, every, yeah. however frequently you're doing. Right. Lay off me, dad. That's what I always say. Yeah, dad, I got it, dad or mom or whatever, you know, just like, God, that I roll my eyes. It just usually works. <laughs> just kidding. So you wrote a blog recently about the dysfunctions of a team. I want to I want to pivot, pivot a little bit and talk about about this. This is I thought I thought really interesting. You want to talk a little bit about that post? I'm curious. Like, was there a backstory there? Got you writing about that? <laughs> so yeah, the blog post was about the five dysfunctions of an engineering team, and and the inspiration for it uh, was the book by Patrick Lencioni. If I'm saying that right, um, but he wrote the book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great book, highly recommend it. Um, it's written in the form of a, it, it's, it's a work of fiction, right? But it's, it's an allegory. It's meant to teach you through the story. So it's really easy to read. You can finish it in just a couple hours, but he uses the story to talk about, uh, this, this fictional C-suite team of a new CEO that's brought in and their C-suite is extremely dysfunctional and that's having ripple effects on the whole company. 
Um, but throughout the book, he, he kind of outlines these five dysfunctions. And so what he lists them as are an absence of trust, a fear of conflict, a lack of commitment, an avoidance of accountability, and inattention to results. Um, so those are the five dysfunctions of a team. And how they work is they kind of build upon each other in, in, a, in a pyramid. And so starting from the first one, that's, that's the base of the pyramid. And so we start with this absence of trust. Um, so there's this, this lack of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And so people don't speak their minds around each other. Like, I don't trust that you will respond well when I say something, so I'm just not going to say it. Or I don't trust that you are competent in your job, and I don't, I don't think you can handle the things that we need you to do, right? So there's this absence of trust. Um, and so that builds and that leads to this fear of conflict. We're like, okay, we don't trust each other and we don't feel like we can openly discuss problems and things that we need to fix. And so there's this fear of conflict. And so we just don't talk about it, right? Like someone suggests this should be our goal for the quarter and this is what we should work on. And, and you don't really think that's a good idea. In fact, you might think it's a terrible idea, uh, but you're not going to say anything. You say, okay, sure, we'll do that. Um, and so that leads right to this lack of commitment where, okay, we're not discussing problems. We're not saying what needs to be said. And so now we have these goals that we've set as a team, but no one's really bought into them because we haven't really discussed them. So we're not really committed to actually doing what we say we're going to do. And so then that just builds to the fourth one of this avoidance of accountability of like, okay, I never really bought in. I never really committed to the vision. And so you can't really hold me accountable for that because I never explicitly said like, I'm going to do that or even just <laughs> I like didn't record these metrics for these OKRs before. Yeah. So, you know, how can you hold me accountable to now? Yeah, of course. Exactly. Or even like just from like a peer to peer relationship of like, in this example, they're all the C-suites. So it's like, you've got the, this chief marketing officer and then also the, you know, uh, whatever your chief sales officer or whatever, <laughs> or chief financial <laughs> officer. And so it's like, chief. you can't, yeah. And so like, Whatever you can't, they you get can't hold each stuff. Who cares? That's right. But so you can't like, you can't hold each other accountable because you're all peers. Like none of you are the manager or the boss. Mm-hmm. So it's like being able to call someone out, like your teammate and say like, Hey, you're not pulling your weight here. Um, you can't do that. Right. If you have this absence of trust and fear of conflict and stuff. And then anyway, all of that eventually culminates to the fifth dysfunction. So like an inattention to results. And so you just have all these things like, no one's bought in. There's no commitment. There's no accountability. And so what that leads to is just, you don't, you don't get the work done. You've missed your goals. Um, the vision isn't achieved uh, and you failed. And it's all because of these dysfunctions that have, uh, have built up over time. I'm curious, like these five dysfunctions, you probably heard like, you know, the different levels of a team, norm, storming, norming, performing. I'm just curious, like these dysfunctions and when you've got like a brand new team, nobody really knows each other. So there's clearly no trust. There's, you don't want to upset anybody. So there's this fear of conflict and, you know, all these other things. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, uh, is this something you've experienced over time? These dysfunctions sort of iron themselves out or are there, I don't know, are there like tips or, or, or methods to ease this dysfunction or change this dysfunction? Yeah. Um, so it's funny. We actually, after I'd read this book and written, and, and written this article, we actually discussed it uh, as a team in one of our sprint retrospectives. We <laughs> like, spent like an hour I see talking that every about day. It. I see that every day. I see that every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but it was really good because I think that's kind of the first step to overcoming it is uh, is just 
talking about these things. So like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, so we don't trust each other. So there's this, this lack of psychological safety. Um, so like, let's talk about that as a team. Like, okay, why, why is psychological safety important? Like we need to be able to admit when we make mistakes, like, Hey, I, I screwed up and I need to go fix this thing or whatever, or, or admit when we don't know something like that's another kind of fear of like, okay, I'm, I'm a software engineer and I'm supposed to be a smart person and I'm supposed to be able to solve. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like you're supposed to solve everything. Right. Um, and so you're afraid to ask cause you might, you think you might look stupid or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. And so like in just overcoming that, like we've, we've talked about, you know, the, the need for psychological safety and, and why it's okay to ask questions. And then on the flip side, like, um, when, when someone comes to you with a question, like the need to respond positively, like if someone comes to you with a question and, you know, you respond with, well, why don't you know that dummy? Like that's, <laughs> that's an entry level thing, right? Like that's not helpful. They're not going to come to you with a question again. Sure. Um, and so it's important in how we respond. So anyway, so we, we talked about this as a team, like we didn't have any like massive dysfunctions or anything like that, but they're important concepts just to make sure that we all understand of like, it's okay to not know things. It's okay to ask questions. Um, and in fact, like, please do ask questions. I'd rather you ask now or after like, you know, the 30 minute rule is a good one of, you know, struggle with something for 30 minutes. And if you feel absolutely stuck, go ask. Um, but like, I'd rather you ask than not. And then we find out two days later that you've made no progress on this thing. Like we could have helped you in, in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You something Derek and I, we actually like the last episode, we were just talking about all these questions, you know, when you join a team, but I think even beyond that, as you grow in your career, take on a new role, the questions, ask questions. Like I always like, this person isn't asking any questions. What's, what's wrong? Something's wrong. You know, uh, clearly they, you know, clearly unless they're just that brilliant, which is possible. Uh, but I feel like everybody should be asking questions regardless of how long they've been on a team. You know, it's looking at these dysfunctions. I've thought a lot about, you know, looking at this from the perspective of what's not there. We don't have trust. We don't have constructive conflict. We don't have commitment. When something good is missing, something unhealthy must be put in its place. So when you have an absence of trust, I find that you often find resentment with each other. You know, mm-hmm. like so, like when you have a when you have, don't have constructive conflict, you have a lot of passive aggressiveness. You have a lot of that. So it's interesting to me as we're working on our teams. To think about what is replacing all of these healthy things, if we see something's not there, what is replacing them, and is it how how toxic is that thing? We talk uh, we talk about toxic culture a lot at work, and um, I'm I'm just this actually just kind of made me realize that it is the it's the bad guy or the enemy who comes in because that important piece of the puzzle, that healthy thing, is missing. Yeah, that's it's like a power vacuum, right? I mean, it's like you've got somebody come in or a leader, but then they, they leave and then somebody, you know, people come in and fill the vacuum. If you're right, like if there's no trust, there's a vacuum, what, what's going to fill it? Yeah. Right? And we, probably, we often talk, not we often think about what's, what's missing, but not what's replacing it, you know? And that's really the, and honestly, that's the thing that we really should be talking about. Let's talk about how resentful we are of each other. And like, imagine how that feels. Uh, an absence of trust is like, it's 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 more it's an easier thing to discuss, but uh, the actual thing that's there is really hard to talk about. You know, uh, you need like a therapist. Uh, anyway, that's just a weird weird take on that. And that's huge, though, and that kind of goes back, to, uh, Jeremy, to what you were saying about someone was kind enough to give you feedback, right? Of, of mm-hmm. hey, don't micromanage me or whatever. Like, 
when when we are just like passive aggressive and we resent each other like the other person probably doesn't know most of the time like maybe they get a feeling of like you know there's a problem or things feel off here um but maybe the, maybe you don't know that like something that you do every day like absolutely drives someone crazy yeah. or like you know you're always two minutes late to a meeting and that that's someone's huge pet peeve and it drives them crazy like when you when you don't communicate and you can't speak to each other like these resentments build up and like you've started like you know just like completely hating someone over something like stupid and like they don't even know like if you just told them like they'd be like oh yeah like i could fix that like like we could we could resolve this in in two minutes together yeah so yeah i'm curious from your perspective as a tech lead how do you take these five dysfunctions and flip it around and make them I don't know, whatever the opposite of functions. functions are as, as a tech lead or as, as the leadership in general, maybe manager, tech lead, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 It's the, the five functions of a team. Five <laughs> functions of a team. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So like we talked about just discussing it is a huge mm-hmm. thing of like, okay, like why is this important? That's, that's a big one. I think to flipping it around specifically when it comes to like software engineering, I feel like we keep coming back to the psychological safety, but that's just huge in like every area, even just like code reviews is a big one of like, you know, we we can be egotistical and and I wrote this code and I'm a smart person. Therefore my code is good. And if you critique my code and give me a thousand code review comments, right. Then I might take that personally of like, okay, you think my code is bad. And as as an extension of that, you think I'm not a good developer. Like Mm -hmm. you think I'm not very smart. Um, and so like from looking at it from a positive side, like it's huge to be able to, um, kind of separate yourself from the code. Like you are not your code. Right. And and to leave ego aside, like code review feedback is there to, um, to help make the design better or to catch issues so that bugs don't get into our app and affect our customers. Right. And so, um, it's hard to change that mindset of, of, of looking at code review feedback constructively of like, Hey, you, you put these comments here because you care and you want to help make it better. Not because you think I'm dumb. Right. Um, And so that's a big one of just talking about that as a team too, of just code review comments are are great. You mentioned that there's, I have this book uh, it's called discussing design by two guys, Adam Connor and Aaron uh, Irizarry. And this is specifically about design critique, but just to your point, design critique, and code reviews are very similar things, right? You're changing it to make it better, and you get a team to look at the stuff. You're reviewing designs. You're reviewing code, whatever. Well, one of the things they talk about in this book, I really love this book because they talk about setting up the expectations ahead of time for that, right? So that it's sort of an unwritten rule. This is what you're doing when you're going into it, or maybe it even should be written. You know, it's an actual explicitly explicitly stated thing. This is what it's for. This is what it is. This is what it is not. This is, you know, all these all these things that you, you should know going into it so that you don't get hurt feelings, right? This isn't about your design or my code or your code or your opinions or my opinions. This is an objectively, uh, you know, better for the thing, for the code if you do this. It's objectively better if you do for the design if you were to do this thing. You know, it's not your design. It's not your code. You aren't your code. You aren't your design. And I think that's something that maybe new people, new new people coming out of school, they get so attached to their code or their design, you know, and it took me a very long time to get past that. Like, you're breaking apart my design. Okay, let's, yeah, you're right. That's perfect. That's a great idea. I love that idea. Um, you know, and, and, and separating from that. I think that's so hard for new people, especially 
And um, that's one of the things they, t- they sort of talk about a contract in this uh, discussing design. You know, this is it. This is the contract. These are the rules. They, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a while since I read, but they talk about having rules set up beforehand. Everybody reads the rules and they know what to expect and, and guidelines. So if you have code rev- code guidelines, I don't know if you guys do that in engineering, but like this is how you structure code, tabs or spaces or this or that or whatever. Um so that everybody knows that going in. So if you make say like, hey, use tabs, and they use spaces, then they don't get upset because oh, I I don't like tabs. You know what? It doesn't matter. We do tabs. <laughs> right. Yeah, having the code review guidelines there is, is something we actually do do. Um, we have you know obviously there's there's linters and auto formatters that help resolve those small decisions. Right. If we like spaces over tabs, or we use semicolons, or we don't. Um, but yeah, we also have code review guidelines of like how to effectively do a code review that goes over a lot of stuff. And I think kind of the, one of the big points that you're making and from the book too, is the importance of like, yeah, this team contract or team mm-hmm. charter. And that kind of goes to like, you know, one of those defunctions, like the, the lack of commitment or lack of or avoidance of accountability. Like if, if we have this team charter or this contract that we say, like, as a team, this is what we value. This is the culture on our team. We value these things. Um, these are some guidelines for how we do various processes um, that helps a ton because yeah, it, it sets the expectation and makes sure we we're all on the same page, um, and we're kind of all living in the same culture, um, so that there aren't these these misunderstandings and this kind of hidden passive aggressive resentfulness. Yeah, Derek and I were on a team. I know we've talked about this. <laughs> People listening are probably like, "Shut up about this team! I don't care about your team." Uh, but we were on this team. We actually interviewed Brittany Summit, who was our product manager from that team. And we talked all about like team culture. And I think like so much of this, these five dysfunctions and even the tech lead and all the like, how the tech lead works and the micromanage, all these things, it all plays back into the team culture. And, you know, one of the things that we did in this team, which is why one of the reasons why we wanted to have Brittany on was we talked about we uh, had a, like a day or two long workout where we got together and we all talked about these things and it was very touchy feely and I'm sure a lot of people were very uncomfortable but we we basically established all these things like what do we want our culture to be how do we want everyone to act how do we want everybody to treat each other you know we established psychological safety was so important for our team and it was something we talked about all the time and we had you know every Friday we had a team meeting where we would discuss articles about various things and it was you know again kind of like very touchy feely. Probably, I don't. I don't know how many engineering teams do this type of thing, but I think there was a reason why this team was so special. Um, and I, if I had to guess, my well, my my assumption, Derek, I'm curious what you think. I think it goes all boils down to that first piece is the the trust. We all trusted each other. We liked each other. We weren't scared of conflict because we weren't scared of of you know hurting someone's feelings. Everybody knew that we were we were coming at this as like from a place of mutual. Uh, respect and, and all that. So I feel like that kind of helps a lot of those things, setting that up. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny too. Like when you see something out of place, like when you see psychological safety being breached on a team and it seems really odd and everybody's like, whoa, 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 cool it, man. Or like, lady, uh, it, it, uh, it, it's 2022. Dude. I know, right? Uh, but it's, it should be shocking if your team is healthy and the culture is good then those moments should be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how we act, you know? That's not how this works, you know? Because <laughs> we had that happen a couple times on our team. And and at first I thought, oh, no, something's really wrong. And later I realized, no, something was actually very right, that that was so obviously a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, just one of those interesting things that if you're on a team that has is a good culture and you rarely see these issues pop up, 
psychological safety being breached or, or having having a problem, maybe that's something that is an indication that maybe things are actually pretty good with your group. That's actually a point. Because like if, if, if something was really wrong and no one was like, oh, that's normal. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah. Get swept under the rug. Yeah. I've had that happen a number of times on other teams where, you know, someone would respond very, very inappropriately in a meeting and the meeting would just go on as if nothing happened. I'm like, whoa, you, that's that, yeah. we don't we don't act like that. Do we act like that? Is that what we do what here? What are we doing here? I got a guy. Oh, jeez, yeah. Louise. That's nuts. Yeah. Um, anyway. All right, Tyler. So any any other resources or anything you want to close out? Anything? Closing gotta... thoughts. From Tyler. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there are tons of good, tons of good books on this topic. Um, I, I love to read. I, I have a whole bookshelf full of like, just, you know, not just programming, but like business and engineering management and leadership books and stuff. But, but there's a lot of good, a, a lot of good, uh, books out here. Um, if you're interested in, in being a tech lead or just thinking about, you know, the difference between an individual contributor path versus a manager's path. Um, there's a book that's called the manager's path uh, by Camille Fournier. Hope I'm saying her last name, right. Mm -hmm. um, but super good book. Um, highly recommend that she's got a whole chapter on tech leads. Um, and then that, there's a lot of other good books on like kind of the more touchy feely stuff of, of building good teams. Um, but just like managing humans by Michael Lop is really good. Multipliers by Liz Wiseman. It's mm -hmm. a great read. The Culture Map by Erin Mine was actually fascinating. And she talks more about just like cultural differences and global teams and uh, oh, yeah. kind of going so along the same lines. Yeah. That one's probably huge too, I think. I, I haven't heard of that book, but that's, um, I would imagine now remote, you got people from all over the place, even within the U.S. I mean, people working in Alabama are definitely different people in New York, right? And how do you work like across those kind of cultural cultural yeah. divides or gaps, you know, um, as we're all remote? I feel like that's kind of huge. Yeah, that book, that was one of the favorite, my favorite books I read last year. Um, Cause yeah, it covers a lot of things that like you take for granted. Like after reading, you know, she goes through like eight different uh, kind of uh, scales and factors of, of culture. And, and as I'm reading, like, you know, she talks about US culture versus like, you know, cultures in, in South America or in Europe or in China or whatever. And as I'm reading, I'm like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm very American. Like all of my viewpoints are <laughs> like very much from the U S. Oh man. Um, so we, uh, Derek and I work in a big, you know, big company. We got people all over the world. We had a team at one point that was in Poland and, um, we had this team and all of a sudden one day everyone started thanking us like, Oh, thank you. Oh, great work. You're doing such a good job. Thank you so much. Everyone's like, it got to the point where it was just like weird. It was like, why are they doing this? Anyway, we found out that they had American cultural training and they were told that Americans like to be complimented and told thank you. And and it was just like the weirdest, like what? It was just so awkward. And the funny thing is they didn't give us any kind of cultural training. I had no idea they even did it. Somebody just happened to mention it one day. They did they did that one for, that. For, for America and for India. And I was like, why didn't we get like any kind of you know, I don't know. It's really funny. Was just thank you. Oh, you're doing a great job. I'm like, what? No, it wasn't. I just literally just like, I didn't do anything. What are you talking about? Anyway, it was really funny. Yeah. You remember that, Derek? I do. I do. Yeah. I remember talking to you about it too. And when it happened, you just reminded me of it though. That's hilarious. Yeah. So bizarre. Anyway, that's awesome. All right. So Tyler, do you have a few minutes to stick around, do a little this or that? Let's do it. All right, man. So we're going to set a timer for a couple of minutes. Going to start off with some simple questions and we'll get in there and then just, you know, whatever first thing comes to your mind go. Don't take too long to think about it. Um, there's only one question here where Derek and I will judge you, but uh, I feel like you're going to get it right. Are you ready? I'm ready. 
All right, let's do it. All right. Uh, Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. All right. Phone call or text? Text. All right. Uh, ice cream cone or a cup? Cone. All right. Big teams or small teams? Small teams. Work from office or work from home? I work from home. All right. IDE or notepad? <laughs> IDE. IDE. All right. Uh, Visual Studio or IntelliJ? Oof. Uh, Visual Studio. VS Code right. specifically. There you go. There you go. All right. Cool. Uh, Space Invaders or Pong? Ooh. Uh, Space Invaders. All right. When you send an out-of-office notification, do you say OOO or OOTO? OOO. Oh, I had a guy who did all, he always like would do random stuff because he like thought it was funny and he would like, I had a color code set up. So like anytime someone sent me an out of office thing, it would, it would automatically turn blue and like be hidden from my main thing. And he would always like send something like O-O-T-O or O-O space O like to kind of, anyway, it was really funny. It was a little game, a little game we like to play. Um, all right, cool, man. Um, tabs or spaces? Spaces. Spaces. All right. Um, Bourbon or rye whiskey? I don't even know if you drink. I should ask you this before. <laughs> uh, I don't drink. So you can say pass. There you go. Pass. All right. Um, all right. Here's a couple that are really important. Love or money? Love. All right. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. Oh, Derek. Sorry. That's all right. It's okay. We won't hold it against you. Too <laughs> all right. So we have a couple of questions here. So as as we said before, you work for Adobe. So we have some Adobe-related questions. Are you ready? All right. All right. So everybody out there that isn't familiar with Adobe, um, there's also another Adobe that is uh, sun-dried brick that you would uh, use to make a house in the Santa Fe area. A lot of houses, Adobe houses. So uh, just so you're not familiar with that out there, that's what that is. All right. So, brick or Photoshop? <laughs> I don't even know how to answer. Let's say Photoshop. All right. Stucco or Illustrator? Illustrator. All right. Vinyl siding or InDesign? InDesign. All right. Cedar siding or Acrobat? Acrobat. All right. Lastly, Hardy Board or After Effects? After Effects. Choice. All right. I think you got them right. <laughs> He's a company man it. for sure. Right. <laughs> so uh, I think we're done. We're clearly done. Uh, anything you want to promote? Anything you have going on? Uh, events you're speaking at? Anything you want to promote? Uh, plug while, while we've got you on. Yeah. Uh, if you want to come work at Adobe, come work with me. Always hiring. Uh, we'll let you into the office. <laughs> Do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm actually going to be... I'm going to be speaking at the uh, Developer Growth Summit by CodeMentor. Oh, cool. uh, it's April 6th and 7th. So Great. if you want to go to that, it should be a free event. It's all virtual. Um, so yeah, come check it out. Awesome, man. Yeah, send us the links to the registration. We'll put it in the show notes with the uh, with the uh, thing when we release it. Awesome. Cool. All right, Tyler. Sounds well, that's great. it. That's all for me. Derek, you got anything else? No, man. Great having you on. What a treat. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, yeah. This is awesome. Thank yeah, you, thanks guys. for the insight. I think this is huge. So definitely helps some people out. Uh, especially the stuff about micromanaging. I feel like that's something so many people do. They don't even realize it. Don't micromanage. Let you trust your people. Let them do their stuff. All right. So check us out at RetroTimePodcast.com. Get your stickers, RetroTimePodcast.com slash stickers. Derek, you got that review jam? You almost done that thing? Oh, we yeah, got to release that getting, thing. It's getting cooked. I can't cook it. I got to right, really We got another it. one, too. We yeah. got another five-star review you got to write. I know. I got so, two to do. I know. You got it, man. Uh, so, <laughs> well, no rush. 
I'm not going to micromanage you, Derek. <laughs> he trusts well, me. No, no rush. He trusts me. <laughs> I trust you. I don't sense any resentment. Uh, so check us out. If you want your own review jam, go leave a five-star review. You could do that at Apple Podcasts. You could do it on Spotify. You could do it all kinds of places now. So leave a five-star review. Get your five-star review jam. Check us out on Retro Time Pod on Twitter. Derek talks about Star Trek and basketball and sometimes software. It's a, it's a hoot. It's a good time. That's all I got. It's a good time. Until next time, y'all, we'll see it. Take it easy. And God bless you, Tyler. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> Speak the language. Um, I, I had one more thing, Jeremy. I have a bone to pick with Adobe, okay? I don't think it's your fault, okay, Tyler? Look, I was 21 years old or something like that. I came to Adobe. It was when they had just recently acquired the company Heroku, okay? And I was fascinated by how the offices were structured, okay? So I go to the front, and there was two ladies sitting there, sweet ladies, okay? I went up to you and said, hey, I want to get in there and see how the, how, how the place is organized. Because I work on a team, and you guys, I'm sure, do great work. They looked at me and, and said, and they laughed at me, and they said, wow, you're really bold. I actually was in San Francisco at the time, went to the facility, you know, and I asked them that question. And I thought, also, it was a very uh, respectful way to, to shoo me away. Wait, hold on. Can you back up a sec? You went to the office just to see how their office was set up? Yeah, like, well, I wanted, to, I wanted to, like, visit, like, that area of town. And oh, I was okay. like, let all me right. go see if I can, like, go inside and, and like, see how the, like see how their desks are all organized. It was such a stupid request. I have so request. many questions, Derek. Hold on it was a, a stupid hold request, on, wait, wait, wait. okay? I'm, hold on. Heroku, did you go to Heroku for any reason other than it was Heroku. just the office? The clo- okay, so you wanted to go to specifically. I was a fan. Okay, they didn't right. know I was a fan. I should have worn a shirt or a hat. <laughs> um, Some swag. Yeah, okay. yeah. So anyway, um... I just want you to find those two girls. I'll, I'll give you some descriptions later. And just tell them, just say, next time, let him in. All right, that's all. That's all I need, Tyler. Okay? I'll send you, I'll send you, I'll I feel send like you some, some security concerns. I, I know you'll take care of me. So I'll just send you like brief descriptions, <laughs> hairstyles, that kind of thing. They might have changed God, them, okay. but you know. Yeah, these are security guards? It's only, been, it's only been about 15 years or something. I don't know. Oh my God. Something Derek, like that. So oh, Derek stole some, uh, well, they didn't steal. He, um, Illegally rode some Google bikes while he was there too. Oh yeah, that was great. Is that the same trip? That wasn't you, the same trip, the but Google I did bikes? steal some oh, Google bikes. Trip. We rode them all around. And you didn't steal them? No, I didn't steal. I didn't take them home. Them. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I, I, I left them borrowed there just them. To be clear. Yeah, <laughs> but it did. They'd say only for Google employees, and I felt like a real sneak. Um, yeah, you did. You could show them good. Anyway, that's my story. So thank you. <laughs>